0: As Thanksgiving approaches, many are looking forward to their favorite holiday treats and meals. Perhaps it's you who stepped up to host your extended family for the traditional Thanksgiving dinner. As you trim the turkey and gather the ingredients for your grandmother's recipe for stuffing, you begin to see the dollar signs add up for feeding your third cousins twice removed. The financial pressure that surrounds families increases during the holiday season. And what happens to those who already feel these stressors on a day-to-day basis? I'm Caitlin Phillips, and I'll be your host of this episode of The Oxford Comet as we explore the politics of food. According to a survey from LendEDU, the average American consumer spends about $165 on Thanksgiving alone. The expectation to host a perfect holiday gathering can be overwhelming for lower and working class families. But the pressure to overshop and overcook is typically universal. This conversation of food politics doesn't end after holiday decorations have been boxed up. Working parents and families feel the pressure to provide healthy and bountiful meals January through December. This can cause an additional stress and pressure for mothers, fathers, and even siblings to assist with the purchase, preparation, and planning of curating nutritious meals. On this episode of the Oxford Comment, We use Thanksgiving and the upcoming holiday season as an opportunity to bring these issues of food politics to light. To kick off this episode, we've invited Sarah Russo to speak on behalf of incredibly hardworking parents everywhere who feel the normal pressures of planning and preparing routine meals. To us, Sarah is the Head of Audience Engagement for the Social Media, Publicity, and Communications team at Oxford University Press, but to others, she is also an amazing mom who has even more work to do after she leaves our offices, like planning and shopping for family dinners. Let's hear more from Sarah. Here at the Press, you are our fearless leader and boss, so we know you are busy, but as a parent, can you break down how you prepare meals throughout the week, specifically when it comes to planning dinners with your family?
1: I'm OCD about this. I do a lot of planning and my husband and I really tag team this whole process, but I spend a sizable portion of every Sunday prepping and cooking for the week. Um, My husband does the grocery ordering and he does a lot of the weekday cooking, but he also has a really busy job. He's a freelance photographer, so we never know what his schedule is going to be. So if he's home, he cooks. But the assumption is there will be two or maybe three nights a week where he won't be home to cook, so we need something that's already pre-made. And thankfully, we have a wonderful babysitter who'll put things in the oven and make salad and whatever, so that helps a lot. You mentioned ordering food. Have you ever used a service
0: where you can order food online based on a virtual shopping list?
1: Um, So, yes. We've used a couple of different services that do all of the meal prep for you. So it sends you a recipe along with all of the ingredients you need and then you do the cooking. I haven't loved any of them that we've tried. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I think they probably work really well for some people, but I am gluten intolerant and allergic to soy. So that complicates things a lot. Um, It makes it much more difficult to have someone else do that meal planning portion, which we can change things around and substitute ingredients and whatever. But I found we were throwing out more food by doing that sort of, I don't know, letting someone else do the meal planning for us. And it's, they're really expensive. So you throw out one meal and all of a sudden you, you've thrown out like $35 worth of food. So we've tried them, we haven't had great success with them, but I have lots of friends who love them.
0: So. Do you feel there is a pressure to gather your family at the dinner table? And is this a pressure you feel personally connected to or is this more of a societal pressure?
1: I do think there's pressure to eat every night together as a family. Um, I We've changed that a little bit, that pressure for us. So we eat breakfast together almost every morning. We don't eat dinner together every night. It's challenging with both of our work schedules to do that. But typically, I would say more often than not, we do have dinner as a family together with at least one parent, so kids and, and a parent. One or the other of us tends to be home for at least a meal. With all the new research and
0: knowledge nutritionists continue to discover, do you feel obligated to buy and eat organic produce and products?
1: A little bit of both. I um, grew up in western New Jersey and my uncle had a farm, so we often grew our own vegetables. We had cows and steer and chickens. so. I do feel strongly about buying local more than I feel strongly about buying organic because in my experience, even when farmers are extremely well-meaning and want to use as little pesticides and fertilizers on their crops as they can, there's a real struggle for them because if they lose that whole crop to some sort of a pest, that makes or breaks a farmer so it's hard for me to believe that farmers aren't spraying something on their crops having grown up in an environment like that so that said buying local is really important to me also um, farms that don't use don't overuse antibiotics another thing that i think completely antibiotic free I don't think truly happens. So we don't look for completely antibiotic free, but we do seek out farms that use lesser amounts of antibiotics. Um, there's one near where I grew up called Gofflebrook Turkey Farm that is great. They're not, you know, they don't claim the organic label. They actually, we've had I've had this discussion with them because it costs a dollar per dozen of eggs to get that organic certification from the USDA. Their eggs are in fact considered organic, but it does they don't wanna pass that along to their consumers and their consumers who are thoughtful enough to ask know that their chickens and turkeys are um, grain fed um, while like moving around, not um, in barns. So they're—you know—they're the, those are the types of things that I think are more important than a label in a grocery store. That tells me something is organic or antibiotic free is knowing what my food sources are and trying to get to know the people who are producing them when at all possible. Do you usually host Thanksgiving or holiday dinners? Well, I don't so my sister-in-law and I alternate every other year we host my husband's families for Christmas um, so this is my year and I think I'm going to just cater the whole thing because it's a lot of people it's a phenomenal amount of work I don't feel guilty about that, because that's something that I'd rather spend the time with them. And, you know, thinking thoughtfully about, you know, a number of them are vegetarians, my daughter now wants to be a vegetarian, like thinking about what makes sense and having someone else cook it beautifully, than spending, I mean, it would literally take me probably two weekends of preparing and freezing to feed my whole family, because I'm not going to be able to do it in the couple of nights before. And my fridge isn't that big, like I live in a Brooklyn apartment. So being able to freeze enough to have for everyone. So yeah, I saw a menu in my vestibule the other day and I was like, ooh, catering, Italian, that sounds awesome. So yeah, that may be what I do this year. No pressure (laughs) under those circumstances. I feel pressure to feed my children and myself and my husband. Those weeknight dinners and what we eat on the weekends and their lunches every day for school, that I feel an intense amount of pressure to consistently and effectively make them nutritious meals every single day. And for myself too, because as I get older, I feel it when I don't eat the way I should. Um, So that's,
0: Sarah reminds us to focus on some key factors while preparing our meals. These tips include locally sourcing goods as well as working with family to properly strategize meals throughout the week. After speaking with Sarah, we decided we wanted to take our research on food politics even deeper. When it came to families, how did parents who worked overnight hours use their time to concoct their family meals? And we also asked what some of the psychological implications were for parents and even young adults when economic stressors came to play a role in planning and purchasing food for meals. To get these answers, we spoke with Seneca Elliott, Sarah Bowen, and Joslyn Brenton, the authors of Pressure Cooker, Why Home Cooking Won't Solve Our Problems and What We Can Do About It. Let's hear more from them.
2: I'm Seneca Elliott. I'm an assistant professor of sociology at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. And together with Sarah Bowen and Jocelyn Brinton, um, I wrote the book Pressure Cooker, uh, Why Home Cooking Won't Solve All Problems and What We Can Do About It. I'm Sarah Bowen. I'm an associate
3: professor of sociology at North Carolina State University in Raleigh.
4: And
0: I'm Jocelyn Brenton. And I'm an assistant professor of sociology at Ithaca College in Ithaca, New York. Great, thanks so much. Um, what was the inspiration for the book? Um, well, I think the inspiration for the book was um, you know we had been working on this
4: this project together, and um, we were we were interviewing mothers and we were observing families. And at some point, you have to stop and you have to start writing um, about about what you're doing. Right? That's what academics do. And so we we wrote a, an article in an ASA publication called Context. And it ended up um, causing a bit of commotion. You know, the the article was short, and and it was based on all of our research. And it said, hey, you know, we we have this ideal meal that we're supposed to put on the table. But actually, when we observe um, diverse families in everyday life, uh, it turns out it's pretty hard to do this. And that article came out, and it caused a buzz, and people... Uh, we're really talking about it and some people were saying oh thank goodness you've published this article like mostly a lot of women too right like finally somebody is acknowledging my experiences and and how hard the family meal is and a lot of people uh felt the opposite about it they They felt like maybe we were trying to attack family meals or say that that families should stop cooking altogether which is which is not what we were saying and so we realized we'd really struck a nerve and so that was um sort of what inspired us to take all of this data we had and say let's let's write a book about this we um We have a lot to say and health and food there it's on everybody's minds these days i mean you hear a lot about obesity about type 2 diabetes about the food system gone awry and on top of it all people are getting this message that um, Amer- i mean americans in particular right we're getting this message that we're not taking enough time to cook or to slow down or to appreciate a good meal and experts seem to be coming up with a lot of simple answers for these problems but you know we're sociologists and and we examine how people's lives are tied to bigger social forces we, we sort of have a bird's eye perspective on this issue, and so a big part of what we wanted to do in this book was to just sort of step back and, and make sense of the patterns in, in both the joys and the challenges that uh, families experience when it comes to putting a meal on the table. And um, we, we have a lot of data, and we knew we had a lot to say about it.
0: What expectations do parents face when feeding a family?
4: So
3: parents feel a lot of pressure around dinner. They feel pressure to put together homemade, nutritious meals on the table every night and get the family together to eat the meal and have a nice conversation around it. And this all sounds very good, but our research has shown that it can be really hard to pull off, especially when families are pulled in so many directions. And for poor families, it can be almost impossible. There are national surveys that show that in the United States, about half of American families are eating together six or seven nights a week, which is almost every night. this actually hasn't changed much in the last three decades so people are getting together for dinner and that was true of the families in our study but even though they are making time to eat together either because they want to or because it's the cheapest um, option the meals they're making often don't look like the perfect meals that we see on tv or in magazines um, or on social media so a lot of the moms in our study told us that they felt like they often weren't getting it right either because they often weren't cooking everything from scratch, because they didn't eat enough fruits and vegetables, or even um, in some cases because the fruits and vegetables weren't organic, because the kids or other people were complaining about dinner, or because it was just too hard to find a time when everyone could get together.
0: So you specifically mentioned moms um, there, and do you think that the pressure really falls mostly on women for the most part?
2: Yeah, we focused on women in our research because they still face a lot of pressure to get family meals right. And because even though American men are cooking more today than they were in the past, women are still responsible for the work of preparing meals um, in the majority of American households. We know that overall women feel more conflict around um, juggling work and family than men. Um, Although, certainly, men have begun to feel these pressures as well. But the research shows that when it comes to cooking at home, uh, men are more likely to do this work if they enjoy it, whereas women um, are cooking because they have to, regardless of whether they like it or not. So this tells us that women bear a lot of responsibility for cooking. And this is an activity that's day in and day out. There's always another meal to make. And a lot goes into making a meal aside from cooking. So there's planning, there's thinking about family members' preferences, there's thinking about schedules and how to get everyone together around the table. Um, In fact, research suggests that women tend to carry a lot of uh, what's called the mental load in families. Um, The work of organizing, planning, worrying about things that need to be done, um, and so on. And we found this to be true for the families we've studied. So yes, there's good evidence that Women disproportionately carry the weight of the pressures around feeding the family.
0: So we've talked about, uh, you know, the meal um, as a planning and and cooking and that kind of thing. But let's talk about the actual food on the table. Um, what is really the most effective way to provide nutritional value? Is, does it matter that it's organic? Does it matter if it's homemade? Does it, you know, what really is the best way to get your family, um, you know, the, the nutritional needs that, that they have? So the science of
3: nutrition is very complicated. This is partly because it's, it's hard to measure because most nutritional studies rely on self-reported data and people aren't particularly good at reporting every single thing they eat and how much, and also because it's hard to trace what effect any one food might have on people's health because lots of things affect our health. So there's still lots of debates on the specifics of what is good for you and which nutrients are most important. And There probably always will be, in part because if you look at food cultures around the world, there seem to be quite a few ways of eating that have worked in terms of human health for a long time. Even despite that complexity, there is some consensus, and almost everyone in our study seemed to kind of share this consensus that, for example, fruits and vegetables are good, water's good, whole grains are good. In terms of the question of What's better, organic, homemade, vegan, cost efficient? I think that one thing to keep in mind is that it depends on your family's needs. So your needs if you have a new baby or you just started a new job or moved across the country might be different from your needs when you have a bit more time or when you have teenagers who are doing lots of sports and eating lots of food. The second thing is that when thinking about cost, it depends on how you define cost. People often don't take into account a cost of people's time, which is um, whether that's because of chopping up lots of vegetables to make food from scratch, or if it's shopping around for deals at different stores. So making a batch of beans and rice um, from dried beans can be cost effective, but it might not be as time effective. A lot of the people in our study were crunched in terms of both time and money, So, so one thing we emphasize is that it's okay to cut corners, and things like canned and frozen foods are easy and they can also be very healthy.
0: So you mentioned that it would sort of depend on the family as to what is the ideal nutritional goal that you would have. Are there resources out there for families to uh, assess that for themselves? Um, Or is it just, uh, again, that set of time issue of being able to research what's the best for your family?
3: I think it is hard because there are a lot of resources out there,
0: but a lot of them
3: Are conflicting which is one of the reasons people are often confused about what they should do A few months ago there was an article on Grub Street by Mark Bittman the former New York Times columnist and a doctor David Katz and it was called the last conversation you'll ever need to have about eating right and I thought that was a pretty good thorough overview and also very honest about what we know and what we don't know but I think also that that there's so much pressure around eating right and getting things right and eating healthy And that's what we heard from the moms in our study, and that's what we write about a lot in our book. People have to make decisions about food every day and balance things like how much time they have and how much money and what makes sense. So we really try to emphasize that we don't have to get it right all the time. And also that I believe that everybody deserves a treat sometimes. That includes kids, and it also includes parents.
0: Um, so we've talked a little bit about making more, you know, systematic changes and, and maybe some more long-term changes. Um, can you think of maybe just one small, tiny change that maybe a um, a family can take? Maybe not a big change, but would make a change? Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, that's
4: the million-dollar question, right? That's what everybody wants to know. What what can I be doing in here and now? And um, the thing that we find in our book is that you know parents are being they're being asked to do it all. Um, they're they're working full time. They're managing their children's health. They're trying to create a you know a lasting, lasting healthy lifestyle, and this is a tall order. And even implementing these small changes can be really difficult when when people have very little money or am- unpredictable work schedules, and, and that was the case for many of the. The people in our book, um, and so I think you know families find ways to resist pull of modern life, right? By like reducing the number of commitments and activities they have that pull families in too many directions. And some experts advocate for just valuing time around the table, and they say don't worry so much about what you're putting on the table. And our research shows that families are good at coming up with these short-term or immediate ways of working on health. So, so some people do find success in drinking more water each day, or or making healthy meals in bulk on Sundays, you know, for the upcoming week so that they can work around their hectic work schedules. Um, and, and some parents decide just to say no to children's, you know, requests for sugary food or food. But ultimately what we find is that um, these are stopgap measures. You know, they work for a little while, um, but other things come along that compromise um, families' health. So people can and, and probably want to keep trying to, do whatever they can do in their homes. But um, what we're really advocating for is better policies and practices that um, ensure that the majority of families can can be healthy and that they're supported in in that endeavor.
0: Can we also maybe take this back a little bit to the sort of history of this? Um, When and why did the dinner table, you know, gathering around the dinner table become so important? Um, And then what happens if you can't Get yourself around the dinner table because you know your job takes you away from it, or um, you know it just doesn't work within your schedule. When when did the dinner table become important, and what happens if you can't get around that dinner table?
2: Yeah, this is such an interesting question. Um, so, in the late eighteen hundreds and early nineteen hundreds, um, families were starting to leave the home every day, whether it was to go to jobs or to go to school. Um, and during this time, the family uh, dinner took on a lot of symbolic significance. Uh, it was uh, talked about and seen as the way families came together at the end of the day, um, a key way to be a family. Um, and even though the research shows that cooking matters, uh, what we're now seeing is that um, we, we shouldn't fall into the trap of believing that dinner time alone can cause a healthy or happy families. Eating meals together can be positive for families, but research tells us that this effect is pretty small and it um, varies from family to family. Um, Kelly Music and Ann Meyer um, studied the family dinner and found that um, families that had strong relationships to begin with sometimes saw a little um, beneficial effect of um, having family meals regularly. But there's no evidence that sitting around the dinner table every night can actually create these strong bonds. And in fact, there's a lot of conflict around the dinner table. Sometimes dinners go smoothly, but a lot of times we found in our own research um, that kids were tired and cranky, parents were frazzled, kids complained about the food, parents felt frustrated. Um, And sometimes we heard that family time was in short supply. And some of the women in our study felt stressed because they were spending so much time cooking that they didn't have time to do other things they enjoyed with their families. Um, And many of our families worked long hours or they worked unpredictable and non-standard hours. So that means they weren't nine to five employees. They were scheduled for a variety of different shifts throughout the week, often without um, much notice, making uh, planning really hard to do. So what can we do? And, you know, parents can know that there are lots of ways. We can be together as a family, going for a walk or playing a game of pick up basketball. So there are lots of ways to bond together as a family. And the pressure we're putting on families to get food right can up the stakes around dinner time, make parents feel like they're failing at food, and crowd out other things that we could be doing together as a family.
0: So we've been talking about dinner as sort of a day-to-day idea um, happening what about when the holidays start to come up? Um, not only are are you looking at trying to make a perfect dinner, perfect meal, but an, just an overall perfect experience. Do you have any advice for parents that are, um, you know, looking at this holiday and maybe feeling a little bit of anticipation and dread um, over it? Um, do you have any advice for them? The main thing I
3: think I'd emphasize about holiday meals, which is true of family meals in general, and even just thinking about family memories is to keep them in perspective. So we heard a lot from the moms in our study about how stressed they got around the holidays and how, for some people, about how the cost of buying all that food could set them back sometimes for months. And holidays and holiday meals definitely matter, but I think they matter more in the aggregate cumulative sense. So when kids are looking back at their childhoods, they're not going to remember that one year a dish didn't get made or it got messed up or that a particular tradition got forgotten. So one thing i advise parents to do is to think about what's important to them and then talk with other people in the family about how to make it happen. I also think that switching things up can be fun sometimes for everyone, for the kids and the parents. And I was thinking about my own childhood, and one of the Thanksgivings that I remember the best is from when I was 10. Our family had just moved to a new state. We were far away from all our relatives, So instead of doing a big Thanksgiving dinner, we went bowling. And um, my parents probably felt kind of weird about it at the time, but this is one of the only Thanksgivings from my childhood that I really remember very clearly. And now with my own family, we create our own traditions and we do different things, different years. And this year, we're meeting some of our relatives in Kentucky, which is halfway between our two houses, and we're going to get our Thanksgiving dinner, all of it, as takeout from Cracker Barrel. And like lots of people, I have strong opinions about certain dishes, and I'm sure that it won't be the same, and I'll feel a little sad, but we're going to have lots of time to hang out and take walks and let the kids run around with their cousins, and so I think it'll be really good, and it's going to be really easy in terms of cooking. And so, in general, with holiday meals, I think we should just try to remember why we're having them in the first place and try to keep it in perspective.
0: We would like to thank our contributors, Sarah Russo, Seneca Elliott, Sarah Bowen, and Jocelyn Breton for their participation in this discussion of food politics. I think it's pretty safe to say, if you are someone who feels the stress of planning and hosting Thanksgiving this holiday season, or you feel the pressure to purchase, plan, and produce these highly nutritious meals every single night, you are not alone. During this year's Thanksgiving and holiday season, be sure to remember those who may be in a situation where they don't have the resources to prepare these large meals on holidays, or even in general. As always, we would like to thank the cast and crew of the Oxford Comet for all their continued hard work on each episode. Be sure to follow Oxford Academic on Twitter and Facebook for updates on the new episodes of the Oxford Comet. You can listen to past and future episodes of our podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Make sure to tune in on our next episode of The Oxford Comment, where we explore the bizarre history of rituals and the preservation of modern holiday traditions. I'm Caitlin Phillips, and on behalf of myself and the crew at The Oxford Comment, have a very happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening.